Blog Talk Radio. on the Fight Network, our sports conversation, as always, between 7.30 and 9.20 of the evening. Our, our uh, representatives around the country are in their place. Roy Cummings is in Tampa. We'll talk about the football situation and what's happening as the playoffs come up. 
Roger Henner is in Atlanta. He just flew back and forth to Philadelphia. They had the big, big uh, sports writers dinner last night in Philadelphia. He'll talk a little bit about that. Frank Carroll, our exec producer behind the controls, as always. Our other uh, guests will be along as the evening unfolds. But, Frank, I know you've got a dedication before we kick in with Roy. Yeah, Don. The uh, management of the station and network, along with all our broadcasters, sincerely uh, have a, all the families that have lost members over the, over the weekend. Actually, 31 people were shot and killed over the weekend in different cities. So all those families, we, we really want you to know that we pray for you, and we hope that things get better. Okay, Roy, let's yeah, start off a little bit differently this evening uh, in the middle of winter, but let's talk a little baseball because the Hall of Fame was announced yesterday, so we're only a day late in talking about it. Roland, the only one that actually got in. Some of your thoughts, we, of course, in Philadelphia had seen Scotty a number of times over the years as he went 17 years in the major leagues. Some of your thought about him being the only one to get into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, a little surprised, to be honest. Um, I really didn't. I mean, if, if you'd asked me, uh, you know, a week ago, who, who do you think gets into the Hall of Fame? I don't think I would have picked Scott Rowland, but um, I'm not going to argue with it. That's for sure. Uh, I think Philly uh, fans certainly know that uh, he's, he's a worthy uh, candidate for the for the Hall, and, uh, and congratulations to him. But, you know, not a guy that I would have automatically thought out of this particular group um, would have made it. Um, but again, happy for him. I think the numbers warranted for sure. Um, maybe not, might not have played all of his best play, all of his best baseball in Philadelphia, but, uh, certainly, uh, it's a, it's a big, uh, big moment for Philadelphia fans and, uh, and fans of Scott Rowland because he was certainly one of the more dominant third baseman. And again, one of those third basemen who, who could do it all, uh, hit as well as play, uh, exceptional defense. And so he's certainly earned his, uh, earned his spot. 17 years and fought his way through a couple of injuries as well. And uh, Roger, as I said, and as Roy just said, we saw a lot of them in the early days in Philadelphia. Uh, an outstanding talent following Mike Schmidt at third base for the Phillies. And uh, it was really quite a succession. Yeah, he was, but uh, quite a uh, – there is a controversy about him getting in, obviously, uh, because if you look at his record and, uh, you know, Roy uh, and Don and Frank, I'd like your opinion. How come Jeff Kent is not in the Hall of Fame when his numbers and everything far exceed um, the uh, Scott Rowland? And now, from what I heard today, uh, multiple uh, sources on uh, SiriusXM, the baseball writers are saying now that they are changing uh, baseball as far as the Hall of Fame to be much more inclusive of defensive uh, records and uh, performance uh, than offense. What do you guys think about that? Roy? Yeah, I totally agree with that idea. I think defense is often overlooked. Um, now, look, I don't think a Hall of Fame player is uh, is somebody who's just, you know, a defensive uh, wizard. I, I, like, you know, Cesar Geronimo back in the day, if you, if you want to pull somebody out that uh, was a great a defender, but not much of a hitter. I, I think you've got to be able to do it all, but I do think that defense has been overlooked. And, uh, you know, you can make the argument that Jeff Kent was as solid a second baseman as there was, uh, played a tough position. And, um, you know, again, I think it's one of the reasons Scott Rowland is in. I think people started to look back and say, look, 
uh, not easy shoes to fill uh, replacing Mike Schmidt, who was everything. I mean, he did it all and uh, is arguably one of the best defensive third basemen in, in, in baseball history. Uh, but, and obviously a, a major home run hitter, but Scott Rowland came in and, you know, it was kind of a seamless transition. I mean, it was, in a lot of ways, it was, it was, there, there was a lot of the same, you know, from that third base position, only 18 third basemen in the, in the hall. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that defense has not always been considered uh, one of the top uh, categories to, you know, to, to warrant a hall of fame induction. So, I appreciate the fact that they're starting to look at it a little bit more and give it a little bit more uh, credence because I think it has to happen. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think in order to be a Hall of Famer, you do have to have the numbers. Scott Rowland's got them. You're right, uh, Don. Jeff Kent's got them too, and I'm surprised that he's not there because um, the guy could absolutely play. He was he was a threat, and uh, just like Scott Rowland, one of those guys that uh, back in the day when he came to bat against your uh, your favorite team, uh, you, you shook a little bit because it's like, oh, my, hey, how do we get past this guy? And if you can do it, you're you're much better off. And it was, wasn't easy to do. And, uh, a lot of teams failed in that regard. Roger, I'd say a little bit of a surprise because he only garnered 46%, 46.5% of the vote. And uh, I thought that was a little bit light uh, out of the 181 votes. But at the same time, he did not endear himself to the media, whether he was with the Mets or whether he was uh, elsewhere in Major League Baseball. He was a solid player, but for some reason, he wasn't a player that everybody really ran to to talk about different situations and different baseball situations. Well, you're right about that, and he he asked to get out of Philadelphia. I mean, right. uh, that, you know, and he was booed unmercifully uh, when he came back. Uh, and but you know then you look at at the players that they got including Polanco uh, in, in that deal. I very, there were two other ones, in, pretty good players. But uh, Polanco played a, a a role in in a lot of the Phillies' successes uh, after Scott Rowland went to St. Louis. And uh, you know it wasn't like the uh, Rick Wise Steve Carlton deal. Let's see, no, nothing was like that. But uh, uh, you know, I, I congratulate him. I liked him. I mean, uh, whenever I was around him, you know, which wasn't as often as you were, Don, you were there every night. Uh, but, you know, he was always cordial, but uh, he did uh, irritate some people. There's no doubt about it. Uh, not the most cooperative guy. Well, I, I was talking more about Ken. Ken was the one that uh... – uh, you know, people thought would get a lot more votes coming out of the Mets and uh, well, his career in baseball was yeah. a solid player, but he was not yeah. a player that everybody ran to. And that's probably uh, the reason why, you know, that right. uh, he, he did not uh, do, represent himself well uh, to the media. But I think you got to look past that in, in all these. There's a lot of guys that are in the Hall of Fame that were not the most popular guys are my most popular players. And, Roy, you know that as well as I do. Oh, absolutely. And and I would hope that uh, the baseball writers, uh, a group of which I'm not uh, a participant, but uh, I would hope that those guys would put that kind of thing aside. And i got to think that nowadays, um, you know, there's so many writers. And, and that's part, you know, that's part of it, too. There's a lot of writers who, who don't know uh, what Jeff Kent was capable of. Exactly. And, 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 and one of the reasons, only 46% of the vote, if you're talking about uh, – Scott Rowland. Another reason Scott Rowland was a bit of a surprise. I don't think a lot of people 
you know, again, it's not a name that you automatically think about when you start thinking about Hall of Famers. Who's not in? Well, you can, you know, you can come up with a lot of different names, but uh, I don't think Scott Rowland and Jeff Kent necessarily roll off your tongue as, as the top two guys. So, um, right. but I would hope again to, to answer your question, uh, Roger. Yeah, I, I would hope that the uh, the writers would put that kind of thing aside. Those that uh, might have had some uh, entanglements with uh, with Jeff Kent and Scott Rowland that that shouldn't be a, a factor in any way. In any way, look, Steve Carlton was notorious for being. Uh, as bad with the media as anybody possibly could be, and uh, you know, barely, bar- barely, if ever, even talked to anybody except maybe Don. And uh, look, he's there, and he belongs there. So it should be the same for everybody. I really thought that uh, Todd Hilton had a great shot to get in, and he only missed by uh, what three percent. He had seventy-two point three percent of the vote. So I'm almost assured that he'll be in next year. And also Billy Wagner. Uh, did a good job. He got 68.1%. I would think the two of them, now I don't know who the new uh, uh, people will be on the list next year, but they certainly stayed away, and we'll get it, this will end our Hall of Fame, but they certainly stayed away from the people that uh, had uh, any association with drugs or problems. They they just didn't make any headway toward moving up the ladder. Roger? Yeah, well, you know, uh, I heard Ira Kaufman, our good friend, and of course, uh, especially with uh, Roy, the uh, the after this afternoon on uh, with Chris Russo on the Mad Dog Radio, and he talked about the uh, the Hall of Fame and uh, Roy exactly what you mentioned. So many of those members that are voters, they they were not around 25 years ago. And uh, the well, and and I'll give you an example. Jim Salisbury, of the that was with the Inquirer and then now with NBC Sports Philadelphia, um, he's uh, going in a different direction. And he was honored the other night at the Sports Writers Banquet, and then he mentioned uh, the writers, the baseball writers that uh, he uh, s- uh, succeeded. Uh, uh, Stark, uh, Jason, what is it? Jason Stark, right. Stan Hockman, and and then you look back when I was a kid, Larry Merchant, right? Don was a baseball writer back, the, and then Absolutely. Stan Hockman replaced Bill him Conlin. as the uh, Bill Conlon, uh, Frank Dolson. I mean, right. you know, Hall of Fame writers. And uh, and Jim was tremendous the other night talking about it and, uh, uh, you know, how fortunate he was to uh, succeed and what a class act. And Rob Thompson uh, made the statement that uh, he was told when he came to Philadelphia uh, that he that Jim Salisbury was a guy he could trust. So I want to send out a shout-out to him because uh, he just – I've enjoyed his work uh, for many years in in multimedia. Roy, uh, let's jump now to the National Football League. I think the Super Bowl may be played Saturday night at the link. I'll let your comments (laughs) first. Uh, I know uh, Roger Roger wasn't on the bandwagon for the 49ers, but uh, I'll tell you, the Eagles are are playing awfully tough, and uh, they look like the team that played the first eight games of the season rather than the one that uh, had a difficulty that stumbled toward the end. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, what's interesting, guys, is, uh, you know, Jalen Hurts uh, uh, told uh, the, the, the folks at uh, CBS uh, before the game last week, uh, or Fox, rather, 
uh, told him, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm really not a hundred percent. Well, if that's not a hundred percent, I don't want to see it because it's, it's, it's otherworldly. Uh, because that was, uh, look, the, I, I would say that was as efficient a game as, uh, as Jalen Hurts has played. I, I, yeah. I, mean, I don't, I don't remember him making a bad throw, making a mistake. Decisions were exceptional. Um, you know, ran the ball well, uh, ran it smart when he, when he wanted to, when they asked him to. Um, I just thought it was an exceptional effort. And, again, you know, I mean, it's <laughs> – wow. Again, if, if, if that's not 100%, well, then the 49ers got their hands full. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, what's interesting about this, guys, is it's a, it's a rematch. Uh, Brock Purdy has faced Jalen Hurts before. They were in college at the time, and uh, as we all know, Brock Purdy threw five touchdown passes in that game uh, for Iowa State, and 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 against uh, three for Jalen Hurts in Alabama. So uh, Jalen Hurts might have uh, he's got a score to settle here with Brock Purdy. So uh, that that's just another added uh, twist to this uh, this matchup, which is already exceptional. Look. I thought all along that San Francisco was the best team in the NFC. Uh, you can make continue to make that argument. Certainly Philadelphia uh, has every right to say that they're the best uh, record-wise. Uh, they've got the, uh, you know, they had the, the break. So um, it, it's as good an NFC championship or title game as you could ask for. The two best teams are clearly in this game. And you know what? It's the same over on the other side with the AFC as well. Kansas City and Cincinnati. Cincinnati's just played exceptional. Look, if you go out and beat Buffalo in Buffalo, you've earned it, and uh, so Cincinnati has clearly earned it. Do you think they Roger, can repeat? Roger, you were filling up at the banquet last night. Quite, a, quite an event in itself. Uh, what was the conversation at the banquet, and what was the conversation in the newspapers and thoughts about the game coming up? <laughs> well, there, it, it's everything, uh, you know, the uh, the game and the funny. The, well, here's the, here's what you'll hear. You know what when you hear Kirby Smart. Uh, you know what he says, go dogs. And uh, I'm trying to get that down perfectly. So, but anyway, it was all go birds. And, uh, and almost every speaker uh, after they were honored uh, said go birds. I will tell you the one that did not was the young man from West Point uh, who <laughs> was uh, not too happy about his Cowboys performance on Sunday night. So, you know, and, and he mentioned he was from Texas and about it. And But I will say also this, I like your opinion. If Dak Prescott had played better, the Cowboys very easily could be in this game and not the 49ers. What do you think? I would agree with you 100%. Dak threw two, uh, two turnovers, and I think that really, really cost the Dallas Cowboys uh uh, Roy, I, I, I get your view. Well, you know, uh, and I'll take this from, uh, I'll give some credit to uh, Tim Collishaw of the Dallas Morning News, who had a column today saying that basically th- there's a bit of a problem there with Jalen Hurts and the, the fact that he's he's in his own head right now. I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, Dak Prescott. And that Prescott is in his own head. And, and, you know, right, sometimes when you get into this, this kind of rut as a quarterback where you, you just can't seem to, you know, make, uh, you know, 45 really good throws throughout the day, you, you, you kind of, you know, lose your focus a little bit here and there. You don't see everything defensively. Uh, you go through these stretches where you, you give up picks, and, and that's where Dak Prescott is. Yes, if he had played a little bit better, Dallas could have won that game. 
Dallas came out defensively and made it really hard on Philadelphia. But, you know, let's face it, Jalen Hurts was the best player on the field, uh, and that's how you win a football game. But at the end of the day, yeah, Dak Pres- Prescott's got uh, got some issues he's got to overcome. He's got an entire offseason to do it, but doesn't leave himself, uh, you know, doesn't have much positive to look back on uh, coming off of these last uh, few games here. He, uh, You know, the, the Cowboys are actually kind of lucky to, to have been where they were because of the way he played. But you know what? At the end of the day, guys, it's typical Cowboys. You know, they're, they're the Toronto Maple Leafs of the uh, of the NFL, or the, maybe the Maple Leafs are the are, are the Cowboys of the NHL. Uh, teams that uh, everybody talks about. Uh, they've got all the best players. They got all the money in the world. Fans never uh, stop uh, rooting for them. Buildings always filled, no matter what it is. Ninety thousand in Dallas, uh, twenty plus in uh, in Toronto. And you know what? They can't get past the first round of the playoffs. They certainly can't get to the to the championship game. So let's. So you know what? Uh, we're not surprised. And as long as Jerry Jones is in charge, and uh, heads don't roll as a result of things, uh, uh, you know, mis- uh, of failures like this in Dallas, it's probably going to continue. Mm. Roger, let's go up to Buffalo because, as Roy just said a little bit ago, uh, I want to. I, I was not surprised. I thought that Cincinnati had been playing exceptionally well. Uh, over the last eight or ten games. More importantly, uh, you know, they're, they're a team that wants to go back to the Super Bowl. So uh, I was not surprised that they played well. But I was a little surprised that Buffalo didn't play a little bit better, especially with the snow, the cold weather, all the advantages they had with the home field advantage. But none of that came to fruition. No, and I'll tell you, nobody was more surprised than me because I picked Buffalo to win that game. And, uh, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, uh, you know, Cincinnati, that's why I'm wondering, uh, you know, what your opinion is about a repeat against uh, uh, the Chiefs. I mean, and you got to give Zach Taylor a lot of credit. I mean, and Mike Brown, because, uh, you know, that the first two years he, he, uh, that Taylor was the coach of uh, the Bengals, uh, he had an awful record. So, you know, we've said this, the four of us uh, for many a year that, uh, you know, if you give a guy some time, you know, you may find the fruit at the end of the rainbow or the gold at the end of the rainbow. But so many times these owners, and I just look at the uh, Houston Texans getting rid of Lovey Smith. I mean, you know, I mean, he, he won a lot of games in Chicago, went to a Super Bowl, but you got to give the coach some time, my opinion. Roy, two-point spread, uh, well, 2.5, actually, uh, uh, over under, what, 46, I think it's 46.5. We always root for for Reed because he's in Philadelphia. He's had all those great years with the Eagles. Uh, Your your observation on this game? Well, I think he's got his hands full because uh, I I see a, a Bengals team playing with an incredible amount of confidence and uh, and poise right now. I mean, they did not look shaken at all by any of the uh, the elements that they were facing uh, in Buffalo. First of all, you're facing a team that you know has been through a lot. And and to be honest, guys, I I think that might have affected Buffalo a little bit. I think everything that they've been through over the previous couple of weeks might have finally caught up to them. I just I didn't notice any energy with them. Um, mm-hmm. they, you know, sense of urgency seemed to be lacking as well. Uh, they just didn't. They didn't have that pop in their game. They, they struggled to run the ball. Um, you know, defensively they made some plays, but they weren't special. Um, but I saw all of that. 
out of Cincinnati and uh, looked really, really good. I mean, Joe Burrow looked exceptional, and uh, the running game was strong. Um, they, they just imposed their will on Buffalo in a way that Buffalo couldn't uh, do to, uh, to Cincinnati, and, and I think they can do it against Kansas City as well. Um, look, it's, uh, you have to wonder the, the status of, uh, uh, of, of Patrick Mahomes with that ankle uh, as well. Um, I, I know he's going to play, and he should play. He will play. But how effective is he going to be, and uh, you know what, what does one uh, hit do to that? Um, we'll have to wait and see, but I think we know for a fact right now that uh, Cincinnati is a team that uh, you cannot take for granted. They have got everything. They're going to come at you defensively. Uh, they're going to they're going to play it uh, smart, and they can run the ball and throw the ball as well as anybody in the league. Okay. All right, we got a final word before Chris Murray joins us in the second half hour, but. Uh, Roger, uh, they came out. I was, was a little surprised. They came, they came out just the opposite of what Roy's talking about. They were full of fight better and put two scores on the board right away. And before Buffalo knew it, they were down 14 to nothing. Yeah, well, that, exactly. And that just goes to show you, like Roy said, that I don't think Buffalo was uh, uh, playing their normal game emotionally. Okay? And obviously, uh, Cincinnati was. Uh, Roy, I did want to say one thing before right, you, you go. That um, I talked to Al Morgani the other night at, at the uh, uh, the dinner, and he was honored. And of course, he went into the Hockey Hall of Fame. So, uh, and he, he said he'd be happy to be on. Of course, he does the uh, Flyers uh, pregame, postgame, and intermission show on NBC Sports Philly. But I thought that. Uh, when we can have him on, hopefully maybe in the next week or two weeks, that uh, maybe you can stay around for uh, a few extra minutes. And because uh, you're a real expert on hockey, and I thought it would be an interesting conversation, you and Al. Well, I'd love to do it. Uh, believe me, Al Morgani, Morgani is one of the guys that I looked up to, uh, along with Les Bowen there in Philadelphia, when I first came on the uh, on the hockey scene back in 1992, uh, 93. Uh, with the Lightning, I believe me, those are the guys that I was looking up to and saying, you know, saying, okay, how, how, how do you guys do this? And, uh, yeah, he's he's a legend. He's certainly earned his spot in the Hall of Fame. There's no doubt about it. And I, you know, I watch him uh, on occasion uh, between periods when, uh, you know, I'm watching a Flyers game. So, yeah, I'd love to do it. That would be a great conversation. Roy, well, last but not least, uh, we take a look at what's going on in the National Hockey League. And Boston just keeps uh, putting those lights on. And they just keep winning. It'll be a tough team to catch. Yeah, they are going to be a tough team to catch. Uh, but I got to think at some point there's probably a you know a, a, a short slump in there for them. Maybe they only lose two or three games, but uh, they're playing at a different level right now. There's no doubt about it. But we're getting close to the uh, to the trade deadline, so uh, an interesting time right now in the NHL. You know, a lot of players out there that could be moved. What are teams going to do? And I think. I think the Flyers are a team that you have to look at just because, you know, obviously John Tortorella's had uh, half a season now and changed to, to get a feel for his players. You know, what does he think about what he's got? What does he feel like, you know, what does, what does he think he needs? Um, I think you're going to see some changes there. They're going to be able to move some guys I think that other teams want. Um, they might bring in some young players themselves. I'd like to see that happen. Um, but uh, there's there's uh, there's potential for some really impact moves being made here. You know, a guy like Bo Horvat could be moved out of Vancouver, could go to Carolina, could go to the Rangers, uh, could go to the Islanders, could go to Boston for all we know. 
Um, you know, a guy like Eric Carlson, who's having a, 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 an absolutely incredible season as a defenseman, leads the league in assists right now. Uh, it's just, you know, that's a guy who a team could really uh, could really help a team. Uh, Jacob Chikrin in, uh, in Arizona is another one. Uh, if you're looking for pieces, they're going to be out there, and so the trade deadline is going to be really interesting, guys. And right now, East is pretty interesting. Um, you know, the West is close too. Seattle, uh, you know, given uh, Vegas everything it it can handle, but right now, even though you got Boston uh, leading the way, uh, there's quite a fight there among uh, the six, seven, eight teams to uh, to, to see who uh, who's going to make the playoffs here. Tampa's not a lock. Um, you know, they they're playing very well right now. But they're not a lot. When they get in against games against uh, the Islanders, the Rangers, even the Flyers, they get they have to win because uh, we're going to have some four-point games here against these teams in the East, and uh, it's going to be uh, quite an interesting battle down the stretch. Uh, you know, Florida still could come alive. Uh, we'll see what the Islanders they can do it. Uh, we'll see where they go. Buffalo is a team that you got to watch out for. So uh, we'll see what happens. Roy, once again, great first half hour for us, and uh, thank you very very much. We'll do it again next week and. By that time, we'll have uh, the teams looking forward to the Super Bowl, and we can go over all that at the same time. Thank you very much. Have a great week. My pleasure, guys, as always. Thank you guys. Thank you. Take care. Chris Murray is on the line with us right now. I love that fight song. There we go. Yeah, that's – Sing when I first heard it, man. I was almost fly eagle. It's an inspiring song to sing. How are you guys doing tonight? <laughs> Outstanding, Good. Chris. You, and you, uh, you cover every Philadelphia game at the link. You're there. You're radio personality for years in Philadelphia. And before I forget, uh, when you see Don Hunt, do me a favor and, and tell him that we think about him. And uh, maybe one of these nights he'll come on and join us. Uh, one of the great people with the Tribune in Philadelphia for so many years. He's now retired. You're like the rest of us, you're getting old. But tell him we said hello, <laughs> will you? I will, I will do that. I will do that. And, um, you know, Don, Don is a great guy. He was recently honored uh, with a Lifetime Achievement Award by the uh, Football Riders Association of America, the college football guys. And, uh, you know, he's just, he is a great guy. He's one of the best people I ever worked aside. And I miss him, you know, at, a, at, a, at, a, at all the uh, Eagles games. So it's, it's, he's a great guy. Chris, I know you were at the banquet the other night, uh, Monday night. Uh, you're also at uh, the press box for every Philadelphia Eagle game. Uh, give us a thumbnail sketch of what you think is going to happen uh, this coming weekend. Well, I'm going to I'm going to say this. I think the Phil is going to be a tough game. Both defenses are good. I think the 49ers is going to be Warner versus Jalen Hurts. Um, what they what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to run the ball a little bit better pick their spots in the passing game and um, and, ca- and, and and occasionally catch the uh, the 49ers on the blitz because the 49ers are going to are going to throw a few guys at them and I think that um, looking at how they did against Dallas I think the Eagles got a shot I honestly believe that they have a shot to really really get to this defense and that's not to say that you know that uh, San Francisco's defense is bad but I just think the Eagles' offense will, will be the best offense they will have faced all season. Roger? Well, I'll tell you, if they, if they look like they did against the Giants, they certainly will. We talked about it earlier, Chris. 
uh, with uh, Roy about uh, Jalen Hurts. I mean, he looked phenomenal against the Giants, and uh, they just controlled that game uh, totally. You know, uh, the uh, you've been around the Eagles uh, for a long time. You, you know, you went through, uh, you know, with Andy and uh, and Chip Kelly and, uh, and and Doug Peterson and and now uh, uh, Sirian, Nick Sirianni. Tell me a little bit, in your opinion, the difference in uh, personalities uh, in those four coaches. I think listeners would love to hear that. Well, you know, Andy is old school. Andy was, is, as a matter of fact, matter of fact as anybody, you know, you you never heard Andy. If you ask Andy about a guy, oh, he does a real good job or, yeah. or something like that. Chip Kelly was a bit aloof. I don't think he really cared about his players or anyone else in the organization. And, you know, when they fired him, Jeffrey Lurie was talking about oh, IQ or emotional intelligence, something that, you know, as an old school person, I've never heard anybody talk about emotional intelligence. But there, and, and, you know, I, the most telling thing about the Chip Kelly era was the fact that, um, you know, we interview, we we interviewed Kerry Williams, who was a who was a cornerback, and he openly came out and said that basically Chip Kelly was basically running these guys into the ground, and he was saying that hey, you know, you know, this is not college football. Nick Sirianni and oh, we not you forgot to mention Doug Peterson too. Yeah, I and, said Doug. Oh yeah, yeah, the best. Doug, Doug, yep. Yeah, Doug Peterson. I think though he's a product of Andy Reid. He basically did some things Andy Reid wouldn't do. You know, Andy Reid, we used to chide him about not running the football. And when they won that championship, that was the most balanced team up, you know, to that point that the Eagles ever had. I mean, that was the most balanced team that I've seen from, you know, from the time I've covered the Eagles. This team is probably the most stacked I've seen from an Eagles offense. I think Nick Sirianni is a young guy. He understands the younger players. Of, of this day and age, he's not the, you know, he's not like, you know, the Vince Lombardi or he's not, not as, um, you know, um, old school and kind of distant as Andy was. I mean, he really embraces, he embraces the Cowboys rivalry. He talks about, he really embraces the city. He's a guy, he's a young guy who knows how to coach this group of players. And the one thing that he does have is a general manager that understands that he that, that there are certain weapons and tools that he needs because if you if you go back to the Andy Reid era, it was Donovan McNabb and maybe Brian Westbrook and and a and a really good running game that at times they refused to use. This time with this team going this this NFC Championship team, you have a good a good accurate quarterback. You have you have two great receivers in Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown. You have a good running game. You got three guys in that backfield along with Miles Sanders. You got Boston Scott and Kenny Gainwell and all those guys. You, this is probably the most complete Eagles team that I've ever seen, even going back to the days of Ron Jaworski and Wilbert Montgomery and, and, um, and Harold Carmichael. So this, you know, like I say, this team – it's probably the best Eagles team that I've seen. I mean, you know, and take nothing away from from uh, Norm Van Brocklin in 1960, Tommy McDonald, all those guys. But I, I got to tell you, this is probably the best team I've seen. Nick Sirianni is that young, hot shot coach. He'll, he'll, he'll take risks. 
And, uh, you know, he, he, he's a guy who I think is in touch with both his younger players and his veteran players. Chris, you talk about the running game and, uh, you know, what Reed really thinks of the running game to try to keep the ball on the move. What kind of trouble do you think he's going to have with his quarterback with a high ankle sprain? Is he going to be able to, you know, to maneuver as well as, uh, you know, you would like to see your quarterback, especially one with the talent that he has? Well, I'm going to say this. Um, I, I don't think Mahomes is going to be mobile. But, see, Cincinnati has Kansas City's number. Cincinnati, I mean, Kansas City just cannot beat this team. And mm. I don't know if – I mean, they, they've beaten Kansas City the last three times that they've played. You know, once in a last year regular season, AFC Championship, and, that, and then back during this year's regular season. So, I, you know, I, I think Kansas City could win. I mean – it, it might be a thing where, where where Patrick Mahomes has you know plays the game of his life with you know in other words he he, he turns into Isaiah Thomas in um in, in game six of the '88 NBA Finals where he just played on one leg and scored 42 points. It could be like that, but I think I think Cincinnati is going to win that game. I just think they own Kansas City right now, and I think they're going to do what they did to Buffalo. They're going to establish the running game, and then everything else. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, that whole that that whole crew, I, I I think they beat Kansas City. I don't think uh, um, uh, a seventy five percent or sixty five percent Patrick Mahomes is going to beat that that Cincinnati Bengals team. I, I I don't see it happening. Roger, well I I agree with Chris Don Frank. You know I said that I uh, you hit the nail on the head, Chris. I, they own they own Kansas City, and I think sometimes it gets in uh, in the players' heads. And the coaches' heads, let's face it, you know, and maybe the fans' heads, who knows. But, uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I just I feel that about it. And I, I'm, I'll tell you, I'm worried about the Eagles game. If you look at it, uh, you, know, you know, just uh, from a, a perspective of uh, uh, per players in depth and everything else, the Eagles definitely should win, in my opinion. However, I just get nervous about it because, you know, we see things happen. And, listen, I've seen enough uh, of the conference championship games in Philadelphia and here in Atlanta to, that I know it, it does. I'll never forget uh, with the Falcons when uh, uh, the uh, Seahawks won, you know, and, uh, and, and what that was like. So uh, those things happen, and, and – you just never know, but I'm just hoping that it works out, and then it'll really be a great match. And uh, they they're already talking about the uh, uh, the numbers, uh, you know, the betting numbers. And you know, we all remember when gambling was taboo in sports. Now I think it's their, the biggest sponsor in sports. Yeah, no doubt about that. I mean, I, on my show, I actually had a sports gambling expert explain. How all the all the betting money turns out and all that. So, I you know we all have to be aware of it. I think the line opened up at two and a half. Please correct me if I'm wrong. At minus two and a half, and um, you know I is it, it, is basically an indication of how close this game is going to be. But I I, I still say, and just to allay I guess the fans the fears of Eagles fans, I say I just think that the Eagles are a better team. I don't think Brock. I don't. I think Brock Purdy is going to stand up to uh, to that defense. You know when you know when 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 you got 
where you got all these all these guys on the line, you know, Brandon Graham, and of course, um, you know, you you, you have all, you have all these guys just coming in. Darius Slay. I think the Eagles have the better secondary. It's just that what they have to do though is that they there's a couple of there's a couple of plays three plays they got shut down. They got shut down McCaffrey. They got yeah. shut down uh, uh, Kittle, and they and they got shut down Debo Samuel because if those guys get any rhythm in this game, it could be a long day, and they really they really have to put pressure on the quarterback. But and with well, those twelve that the they set a oh, record, right, for sacks. Right? Yeah. The uh, Eagles line set a record this year. Yeah. Well, let's give our and... executive producer, uh, Frank Carroll, uh, a longtime Philadelphian, uh, executive producer of our show every Wednesday night. Uh, Frank, uh, what's, your, what's your comment for Chris? I, what I would say is that I've never seen a team in Philadelphia rally around each other support each other, have the coach do a, a, a fist bump and do a body bump with uh, with his players coming off the field. Right. It's like right. being back a college team. I don't think they're I, – I don't think they're, they're – sure, they're beatable, but I don't think it's this year. I think they've got enough momentum. I think you have a great coach, and um, it looks like as far as uh, – hopefully they won't try to hurt Jalen Hurts. They hurt Jalen Hurts, we're done. But – if yeah. he stays yeah. healthy, I don't see any any uh, anybody but them being the, the bringing home the trophy. Chris, you buy that? I, I do buy that. I do buy that because you got guys like on that defense. Hassan Reddick is going to give Brock Purdy a long day, and like I say, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, everybody on that defense, they're going to be physical. And I think for a guy like Brandon Graham, I think he he wants one more. I've spoken to him a couple of times. He wants that feeling again of 2017. So I, I think on paper, looking at it, you know, I think the Eagles should win this game. I mean, I, I think they're, they're the better team overall. But you know, like I said, but I wouldn't sleep on San Francisco. I mean, that, that the last thing they need to do is take them lightly. And then last year, San Francisco did beat them during the regular season. But this is a different right. Eagles team. This is a more stacked Eagles team. And I, I, I do believe this team is going to the Super Bowl. I, I you know, I, I just believe it. I, I think just by looking at the raw, you know, raw talent and the raw numbers, they're, they're going to go. It, it might be a tough game. It's going to be a fight. Uh, Kyle Shanahan's a good coach, but in the end, I think that uh, the Eagles' defense is going to make the difference in this game. Chris, I think one you know, thing we uh, have to do is give the front office to the Philadelphia Eagles a terrific boost, what they did last year going into this year. And the whipped cream on top of everything, number 11 Brown, has really come in and done not what they expected, more than they expected. Absolutely. Sure. And the go, thing, go ahead, yeah, Chris. I, sure has. You know, yep. Oh, okay, yeah, because I, I think that I, I'll say this. Um, Howie Roseman, I, now I'm a member of the Pro Football Writers Association, and um, I voted for him as my executive of the year. There was nobody better than him this year. He got the pieces. Where he, got, he picked up a Dominican Sioux, and, and the other guy they picked up, whose name escapes me at the moment. But the thing is, they made the moves to put them in this position. So I, you got to give – I mean, I've been critical of Howie in the past, you know, from uh, you know, passing up on DK Metcalf. and Everybody Justin was Jefferson. critical. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm just saying. I mean, see, and you see my point, but but I have to, I, I you know, I got to give credit. We got to be fair. Josh Hunt used to always tell me, you got to cut the pie straight down the middle. You know, you just gotta, you gotta be fair. Right. Well, that's a good point. You know, uh, I wanted to, uh, you know, ask you about the the contributions of uh, the uh, number one, the number, the first round draft pick. My man, Jordan Davis. Tell me how how the big man has done this year in his rookie campaign. I'm gonna tell you something. That guy takes up a lot of space. He he is a big dude. I've been in the locker room. That guy is big. I mean, you know, he three sixty five. Yeah, three sixty five. I mean, <laughs> so what he does, it's, it's kind of like um, with the, the guy for the Ravens, um, uh, uh, Saragusa. He 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 occupies that space, and he makes it impossible. Makes it possible for linebackers to make plays. He also makes it possible, you know, for the Eagles to even get a good pass rush off the edge. And 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 they're good at, sh- at, at shutting down opposing running games. I mean, they they shut the Giants down for the most part in that playoff game last Saturday. And um, they, with the exception of the Washington game, which they which he did not play, you know, the Eagles have been tough against the run. So that guy, I I, I put him on my all rookie team. I, I you know he he is on my all rookie team for that. Wouldn't it be something if he won a Super Bowl after uh, coming off last year on the national championship? Oh, no doubt class about class. it. Class oh, no class. doubt. He's a good kid. You know, I mean, good young man. I don't I like to call grown men kids. I know. I, I don't call them young, young. I call them uh, young men or when I'm in school students. I don't like to call them kids. I'm with you, Chris. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a good young man. He can play. And uh, he's, like I said, you know, you – you know, it, it's good to see when a rookie can have an impact on the team. Um, I'm hoping that Kobe Dean gets better next year. I mean, you know, he I, he didn't he was a guy I thought was going to make an impact more so than um, than Jordan Davis. But Jordan Davis has been that guy, you know, just helping out the run game and occupying space and making sure that the other guys can get it. And that's why this team had a record a record year for sacks. And uh, and like I said, they they've been pretty decent against the run, with the exception of the Washington game. And uh, and I think they're going to make things difficult for San Francisco. But again, this is the kind of game that you know you can't take you you know you can't take them lightly. And they're going to come in. San Francisco is going to come in here, and um and and they're going to push the Eagles a little bit. But I think the Eagles will win this game. You know, late in the game, I think they'll impose their their physicality. On the on the forty nines and win the game. Chris Murray, our special guest this half hour, been a radio personality in Philadelphia for so many years, and of course covers every single Philadelphia Eagle game. And we've been chatting with him about this game coming up, as well as the Chiefs game too. But uh, let me ask you about this because I always thought and always loved George Allen's comments about it. You got to have special teams and you got to have kickers. How do you how do you rate the special teams and how do you rate the kickers? Well, I'm going to say this. Um, I, 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 talking about uh, Jake Elliott, Jake Elliott is a reliable guy. I have not known him to miss chip shot field goals, and I have not known him to, to have a bad day like Mahar did against, against the uh, – who did they play against Tampa Bay a couple of weeks ago and missed an extra point and all that. I have not known that guy to have a bad day. So, um, But the special teams, I think – 
the Eagles have good special teams in terms of coverage. In the in, in the return game, um, you know, I would like to see Britain, Britain Covey do more than just catch the ball. I mean, you know, I like to see him find an opening and and and, and help in the return game. That's been something that's kind of you know that that's kind of bothered Eagles fans and kind of bothered me a little bit because you want to see a lot of times you got you got flip field position in games. And I haven't seen that a lot from Britton Covey this year. I just haven't. But I think that the uh, the kickers, I think, um, who's it? They're, they're, you know, I, I think the the 49ers may have a better may have a better return Robbie, game. Robbie Gould. Yeah, Robbie yeah, Gould. I think. Yeah, Rob, yeah. Robbie Gould. I mean, he's been a reliable kicker since his days in Chicago. So he's been, you know, he's been around. And um, I, I, I think I think it's kind of even in that situation. Uh, I, I would give San Francisco the edge in the return game. I mean, Kenneth Gainwell, you know, in, 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 in the uh, kickoff return hasn't, you know, he's been okay, but they haven't really flipped field or, or improved field position from the return, you know, from the return position. Roger? Chris, you know what, just to switch gears a little bit, because uh, I know you're also uh, covering other sports, the, a lot of people, uh, and we don't talk about the NBA that much, and uh, we talk about hockey. And, you know, the Flyers, I think, uh, they're definitely performing much better than last year. I mean, you know, they were like uh, 500 the, uh, the other day, I think 20 and 20. But uh, what about the Sixers? Are they making a move now? Some people, have, uh, you know, they've talked about it when I was on WIP about uh, and on the uh, Fanatic about they're making a move. Do you think they are where uh, maybe this is the year that they uh, they go all the way? I don't know at this point. They might make a move. I, I'm trying to think, who, who are you going to move and what are you going to get? Because Well, no, um, I, meant, I meant in the standings. I meant in the oh, standings. The stand- oh, oh, in the standings. Yeah. Well, you gotta, you got to look at, first of all, Boston. Well, they lost last night. But Boston has been uh, the standout team in the uh, NBA East all year. And Tatum's yeah. having a fantastic year. And uh, uh, the Nets, uh, Long Island Nets, or not Long Island, but uh, Brooklyn Nets, uh, Simmons has now gotten off the ball. He's not, he's not controlling the ball nearly as much because of the injury factor. Uh, but they're still very, very difficult. It's going to be tough, I think. And Chris will get your opinion. Can they move ahead yeah. of, of both Brooklyn and or close to Boston? I think they can move ahead of, of Brooklyn. I mean, of Brooklyn, but I, I think the Sixers, I mean, they, they just kind of came off of a five-game West Coast road trip where they were unbeaten on that trip. And then, yeah, I mean, they're, 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 starting, I mean they're, they're starting to kind of come together a little bit. I mean, um, James Harden has settled in his role as a facilitator, and, uh, and Tyrese Maxey, after being out, for most of the season, or for or for a significant portion of the early part of the season, right. he's starting to find his groove, and so and and even DeAnthony Melton can come off the bench. I mean, this this week or coming into this game tonight, um, you had Maxi, you know, coming off the bench with the second team, and that worked out really well on the on the last West Coast trip. So you know, there, there's kind of switching back and forth between um, him and DeAnthony Melton, but. Maxi is by by the by year's end. I think the Sixers. Here, here's here's my ideal scenario for the Sixers, where if, even if they don't get past Boston for the number one seed, 
I just want to see them get beyond the second round and beat right. Boston. Like I say, seeding means nothing once you get to the playoffs. I mean, you got to win. I mean, yeah, she What about Toronto, Chris? Say that again? Toronto. Toronto. Yeah, Toronto. I mean, you 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 you've got to figure out a way to just, you know, I I think this team has to do well. I think um everything is on the line. Everybody wants to see this team go beyond the second round. And at least get to the second round, and at least get to the Eastern Conference Finals, and and play Boston in that scenario. I'd rather I don't care what happens during the regular season, but get to the Eastern Conference Finals, beat Boston, and get to the NBA Finals. I mean, that's the thing that I want to see them do. And the thing is, you're going to need a healthy Embiid, you're going to need a healthy Hard, you're going to need those. But those guys have to stay healthy. That's the thing that I look at when it comes to the Sixers: stay healthy and um, get a good seed. But get beyond the second round. And I don't care who you play, but get beyond because I think that they've been stopped in the second well, in the last few years they've been in the playoffs. This, that team is too talented not to go beyond the second round. And they and, and that's the thing. I mean, they're starting to win. They're starting to find their groove. But now they, they're going to have to beat Boston. They're going to have to beat you know, Brooklyn, Miami, and all those teams. So, they're, I'm, I'm, they're, they're getting there. I don't know, will they? That's, that's going to be the thing. They still have a bad habit of blowing big leagues in games, and that's something that we that, that Sixers fans need to be concerned about. Dr. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you uh, the uh, Don and Frank, because, you know, obviously Chris and I were there. I'll tell you, I, I think the world of Maxie, not only as a, a player, but that young man's got everything together. And uh, right. I'll tell you, he loves Philadelphia, doesn't he, Chris? The way he was oh, yeah, the he other does. day in his speech. Boy, oh, boy, he's terrific. And I'm going to tell you, he took time out after his speech. I, you know, I was out in the hallway, and he had all these kids, all these people um, surrounding him. I mean, he took time. He signed some autographs. And the thing, a lot of times people say, don't get twisted. I think Philadelphia can be a tough place to play. But I mm-hmm. think that if you're going to come to Philadelphia, you got to be honest. You got to be you, you know you got you got to say you have to be honest about how you how you're feeling and just get out there and say and just get out there and just play hard. I mean, people will appreciate you if you give if you give the effort. You may not win all the time, they'll still boo you. But the thing is, people will appreciate people appreciate good effort in Philadelphia. That's one thing I is like. Doc, about the right guy to coach this team. I don't know, man. Ask me at the end of the season because, like I said. <laughs> Wait well, a minute, now. That's not what we won't take that kind of an answer. Wait till the end of the season. <laughs> because, I, I mean, right now, right now, I want to give Doc the benefit of the doubt. But there's some things I don't like the, the way his teams blow leads. I mean, you're, you're up by like, you're up by about 15 coming into the fourth quarter. There are about three minutes left. The, team, the other team is back in the game, and you have to like you know, you know, just play. You got to play even harder to close the game. I, I don't, I don't get that. And that, and that's that. But he had that same situation with the Clippers when he coached there. There's something about his. I don't know what if his coaching changes late in games. That's the thing that bothers me. I mean, the guy knows the fundamentals. He's been a great coach throughout his career. But you you can't blow leads, and they did that. I remember in the Atlanta series, in the Atlanta series a couple of years ago, 
they they were up by 26 in, in one game, 24 in another. You can't blow those leads. You mm-hmm. cannot blow leads in the playoffs. And I, I, and every and every game you, every time I watch a Sixers game, if I'm at home watching as a fan, you know I'm sitting there. Okay, when is it coming? The other team is going to make a furious rally near the end of the game, and then all of a sudden now it goes into overtime or the Sixers lose or something like that. They've got to learn to close games out. And they have well, you got and, ten and, minutes. You got ten minutes and forty-three seconds to go in the second period, and it's Brooklyn forty-three, Philadelphia forty-three. So we'll see what he does on the home court tonight on a team he has to beat. Yeah, that, that, that's what I want to see. But Doc, you know, I, I like Doc, but there are sometimes when I'm like, Doc, what are y'all thinking, man? I mean, that's the <laughs> thing, and that's why I say I gotta, you know, on the one hand I like Doc, but on the other hand I. I scratch my head, man. I mean, you know, he's a good coach, but why does he always give up? You're not alone, Chris. You're not alone. Yeah. Because it's almost like you expect it now. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you, you he's really done a great job has been Vaughn since he took over with Brooklyn. I mean, he really – he's done a very, very solid job in uh, reorganizing and structuring that team, even with Durant hurt now, and it doesn't look uh, as though he's going to come back in the immediate future. And, of course, he's got Simmons, who uh, has had some kind of the same kind of problems he had in Philadelphia, knee injuries and some other things that have kept it out of the lineup. And now they've taken him off the ball because he's hugged the ball so much they couldn't get any kind of momentum. But, uh, you know, a lot of lot of things on that team, that a lot of talent there, I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have Kyrie Irving. I mean, when that guy, that guy's unstoppable when he's on a roll. And that, I mean, that that's gonna be a thing that you have to, that you have to, you know, that you have to fight. Is just that the other guys can get paid too. Is just that I, and then too with the six, I'm concerned about their perimeter defense. I'm concerned about their defense and transition at times. And so you really have to, you know, those those are some things that. In playoff situations, you got to turn into a half-court game. I want to see Embiid be an enforcer in the middle of that defense, and I want to see Embiid. I don't mind him taking a three ball, and I think he's been doing a pretty good job of going inside, but I want to see him bully. I want to see him play bully ball on the offensive end because cause who can stop Embiid? Think about it. I mean, can you all think of anybody that can stop Embiid other than um, – other than onto the Kumpo, and 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 he beats onto the Kumpo every so often. Roger. Well, no, you're right about that. I mean, if, if he plays his game, yeah, I think. And and the whole key with me is if he plays more inside. You know, right. the, the Sixers are up fifty-three to forty-seven now. Five eight fifty-six uh, left in the uh, second quarter. But you're exactly right. But uh, in uh, my opinion, and Don Frank's opinion. There was nobody better than Wilt. Okay. You know and, what? Uh, go ahead. Please. No, I was going to say Sonny Hill feels that way. Don Hunt feels that way. I, I have to agree in terms of centers. <laughs> I mean, I, I agree. I mean, Wilt, who, I mean, the only thing with Wilt is that I never, if, if he, maybe we had, if he had the same guys that Boston had, maybe he wins more titles, but that guy was unstoppable. And, and even though, what was slightly before my time. I watched, you know, I can go back and watch film, and I can go, you know, I go back and I look at because I, I have an appreciation for things that came, you know, before us. 
And uh, I tell any young sports writer, you got to know the game, you know, you know, because the game wasn't invented in 2000. And and and, and, Will, and Will Chamberlain was, was, was is among the greats of all time. Well, you know, I'll tell you what's funny, you, and you hit the nail on the head about young people. You know, they weren't around. And, uh, it I was mean, a great you know, Will Chamberlain was, fan, and as you said, Sonny Hill, who we talked to many times on the show. When you look at the records that Sonny uh, uh, keeps bringing up every time he's on with us, the number of records that Will still holds, and not only that, he's the only player that I can think of in the NBA that actually changed the rules of the game. I mean, if they had left the lane the way it was yeah. before Will came in, there's no telling what his records would be. That's right. That's true. Well, I'll, I'll let me uh, say this, that, uh, you know, uh, I had a, uh, a student uh, last year, and he, he said, is that true? Did Will Chamberlain really get 100 points? And then what I did was I went, you know, on and got Bill Campbell. As, uh, and what's interesting, Chris, is it was on Don's show on CAU, a guy calls in, and that's how they found out that it was on tape. This guy taped it off of the radio, the, that, uh, that game at Hershey where he hit the 100 points. Isn't that amazing? Oh, no doubt about that. It kind of reminds me of the guy who taped uh, Bobby Thompson's uh, home run against the Dodgers, although he was a Dodgers fan trying to listen to uh, bad news from the, from the Giants. But it's, I'm, it's always good when somebody can take that history and get that slice of, of history because I think people need to I think people need to hear that. I mean, maybe they put that in the Hall of Fame just to see or just maybe they can maybe pull the footage together and kind of, you know, I think ESPN Classic or something used to do that. But, you know, the, people need to understand that, you know, that, that the guys who create the game, George Mikens, you know, the, the you know the uh, Bob Cousy, the Bill Russell, Elgin Baylor, you know, my boy, Elgin Baylor, yeah, the Big and E, Elgin Baylor, the Big well, E. Chris, you know, we got to go. Father. Thank you very much for a terrific oh, first or middle hour for us. We'll have you back all with us again and enjoy the game on with the with the uh, Super Bowl on the line when the Eagles take on those uh, 49ers. So we'll see whether your prognostications are correct. Look forward thank to you. having thank you, Chris. And I just want to tell you, Maxie was just on a roll. Just hit some oh, wow. great shots. So, Chris, take care. I'll be in touch. We appreciate it. Hey, Vince thank you, Papali, guys. Thank you so one of our favorites. Vince is standing by right now. And when you talk about the Eagles, everybody talks about the Eagles. But there's nobody. Bill Berge and Vince Papali are the two greatest guys to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. And Vince is with us tonight. Give us a quick synopsis of what you think is going to happen this weekend. Well, hey, Don, how are you? First of all, it's oh, terrific. You, how are you? It, it, it's been a while. You know, I'm listening to the conversation, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, somebody's name is back there in the day. My cousin was George Dempsey. He used to play for the Philadelphia Warriors with Wilt Chamberlain. You know, I mean, it, it, right. this is so crazy. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm, believe it, of all places, I'm down here in South Philly. I'm back in Philly. I'm doing a bunch of stuff for the game. I'm, I, you know, I'm pretty pumped. First of all, it, it, it's so cool, Don, to hear your voice. I mean, you're just a legend here in Philadelphia. But, you know, I'm so glad that the Cowboys aren't coming in because this game, if it were against the Cowboys, it'd be all about the rivalry. Now, this game is, is about the players, and you know, and the matchups and, and you know, the – the, the great talent that's coming in 
from the from from the um, from the San Francisco 49ers, you know, with the great story with Brock, you know, and and McCaffrey. So uh, forget the Cowboys. This is going to be fun, and I'm looking for the Eagles. I, I tell you what, what they did against the Giants, they totally dismantled them, and I was pretty worried about that game. I think uh, I think we're going to get it to, get it to Glendale. What do you think? Well, we're pretty much with you along the line. Everybody that we've talked to so far tonight, Vince, has been totally in the position of number one winning this game. Roger, you're up. You know, Vince, uh, the, uh, Chris Murray has uh, been around covering the Eagles a number of years. Uh, he was saying this is the, the best, uh, most well-rounded team, most talented team in a, a long time. Do you agree with that? I agree. Yeah, I agree. I agree. There's, there's very few weaknesses. You know, they plugged in all those, and uh, they're coming back pretty healthy. Um, you know, it's not like when Doug won the championship back in 18, and, uh, you know, it was next man up. You know, we had a lot of guys, everybody, oh, you can't do this, can't do that. But, you know, the fact that Dallas Goddard is back, that makes the wide receiving uh, core, you know, with Devontae and with A.J., uh, that makes them that, that much tougher. And, uh you know, the offensive line seems to be solid. The running back, our running game on Tuesday, oh, man, I mean, 268 yards last week. Are you kidding me? You know, against a defense that was supposed to be, you know, this is Wink Martindale for crying out loud. And um, it, they just they just sliced them and diced them. And, and I don't, I don't, I, I just don't see there's any way that the Eagles can't get to the next, to the, to the, to, to, to the Super Bowl. Vince, I think one of the points you made it right at the outset was right on the right on the nose, and that is that when the Eagles played the Dallas Cowboys to go uh, to you know to try to win and go to the Super Bowl, it was all about beating the Dallas Cowboys more than it was winning the Super Bowl. They were so yeah. long a period of time without beating the Cowboys. This is a different situation. These are two great yeah. teams. What we're talking about, as you said, we're talking about players. We're not talking about can the 49ers beat the Eagles because it's a revenge game or anything else. It's about the players. Right. Yep, yeah, and that's what I'm so glad about. And I was just, I was just, I'm, 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 I, I, uh, I'm in from Florida. I live in Florida now, Don, you know, but I have a house in Queen Village, and I just stopped at a place with a whole bunch of people, and I'm in the saloon right now. And, uh, you know, that's all they're talking about. You know, it's, it's not about the Cowboys. It's about the Eagles and the and the 49ers, and it's just going to be a great matchup. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I, I can't wait. And I'm going to be doing just for anybody that's gone down to the game. I'll be, uh, I'll be at the Hyundai Club. I'll, you know, be all over doing some tailgating with the Eagles. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm so excited about being back in Philly. Hey, hey give, a, give a plug on the uh, saloon that you're in right now. Well, it's right right down here in downtown, you know, on uh, right 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 in Ninth Street, and uh, it's as, as good as it gets. And I'm, I, I just saw that they're bringing up my Dover Soul, but uh, you know, um, it, it's great. Uh, you know, I'm 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 a Philly born and bred. You know, I'm a Delco kid, and I have my Delco hat, and I'm so excited about what's going on here in Philadelphia with our teams. They're all, you know, I was at the Flyers game last night. It was a tough loss, but. Uh, Man, oh man! I mean, there's just so much excitement about Philly sports here. You know, they, they, you know, as they're saying right now, it's all about it's, it's all about Philly. You know, and it's 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 it's, it's a beautiful thing. But you know, Papali, when you talk about legends, Philadelphia, you're certainly a legend in Philadelphia. <laughs> You've gone uh, from everywhere uh, to everything, and now you're down in Florida. What part of Florida do you say you're living in? I'm in Jupiter, Florida, right now. Oh, Jupiter! Oh, well, that's Billy Cunningham's oh, over yeah. there, isn't he? 
Yeah, they're all over. I haven't run into Billy, but you know, there's there's guys all over the place, so it's it's pretty cool. And I uh, live in a little golf development called Total Creek, and uh, I think I've seen that guy uh, Joe Willie around every once in a while. He's in our neighborhood, so it, it, it's pretty good. But it, it's it's great to be back here, you know, and the and uh, and a little bit of temperature, and you know, you get that feel and you get that Philly vibe. There's nothing like the Philly vibe. It's just so great. And there's no city like us. And they talk about our fans, the most loyal fans in the world. So you've got to love it. Just got to love being back here. Roger. Doesn't Mike Schmidt uh, live uh, not far from you in Jupiter at Admiral, Admiral's Cove, right? Not too far. That's right. Yeah, just a couple, uh, just a couple miles away. Yeah, I'm not, that's sort of, <laughs> that's sort of like Bowen Kenwood as compared to, uh, uh, let's say, Glenn Olden, you know. Not to denigrate anybody, but it's a little bit different environment down there. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of like where the real people live. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this, this, uh, I, we can't let you go without that. You know, I, I would think this weekend uh, one of the stations in Philadelphia would uh, bring your movie up and, and play it and give everybody a chance to, to get you back on the front page of the paper with the great film that you made and the way it came about. And uh, I don't know whether they're going to do it or not, but if I were a program director in Philadelphia, your film would be on one night this week somewhere. Well, I hope so. I saw it on a plane coming in on American Airlines, and I watched it for the first time in a long time since my buddy Danny Franks died. And I have to tell you, I was flying throughout the movie, seeing 53 the whole time. But you know what? It's just been a great experience. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I love Dick Vermeer. He gave me the opportunity of a lifetime. George Corner, my high school coach. So many people helped me get to where I got. Oh, and I have a great podcast out right now with my daughter. It's called Gabbing with Invincible. So, uh, you know, we'll uh, you know, keep an eye on that. So it's all good. But, hey, listen, guys, uh, I, I, I sort of got a role. Um, my, my dinner just came up, and, and, and it's looking at me right now. So if you don't mind, uh, I'll give you my prediction, though. It's going to be the birds. I'm not going to predict the score. But, you know, I'm thinking the birds going to be out there in Glendale. Absolutely. Every time we get a chance to have you on the show, it's a great opportunity. Thank you so much. Uh, and I hope they run that movie in Philadelphia. I'm down here in Sarasota, but we may not see it, but I hope the people in Philly get a chance to see it again. Uh, I hope so, too. Thanks, Lon. Thanks, guys. Vince, take Thank care. You. Best to right, you bye. and your family. Thank you. Roger? Yeah, they're always great to talk to uh, Vince Papali and, and the career he had. Uh, and as he said, uh, Dick Vermeil gave him a uh, shot. You know who we really need to get a shout out to? Uh, you know, Frank and, and Don and, and uh, myself is to Doug Peterson. I mean, did that? Did he do a job on turning around Jacksonville in one year? You know, when no you question about, about that. And, and, uh, how messed even, up they even, were. Woo. Even as he said, uh, you know, his post. Uh, press conference after the game when they lost talked about where they're going to go from here. Didn't talk about uh, you know why they lost or anything. He talked about where this organization is going to go from here on. And you're right. He took an organization that was really struggling and uh, turned it around and got it right up there to to uh, a chance to get to the championship game and came much closer than most people ever imagined he could do. Yeah, they never thought he'd be, even be in the playoffs. When you think no. about it, if they're, uh, you know, with Urban Meyer and the disorganization, and 
And I think, you know, it just goes to show you how he develops uh, quarterbacks because he, he just did a great job with uh, Lawrence. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But that team has uh, is young and has a lot of depth. And uh, the I think they have great days ahead. Yeah, just to go yeah, back right. for a second, uh, Roger, you and I, of course, have seen the film many times, but uh, I just want to reemphasize that uh, it was a, just a, fan, a fantastic story at the time. Uh, Vince Papali was uh, uh, not a football player, uh, not a player that uh, everybody was out recruiting and, uh, and bringing into Philadelphia to play for the Philadelphia Eagles. He was a guy up in the upper deck. In the 800 level, it was a cheerleader for the Phillies, and uh, – he got a chance. Uh, uh, they talked about it, talked about it, talked about it. He got a chance to play. Dick Vermeil took him to camp. He made the team, and uh, it's a, just an unbelievable NFL story. Oh, it is. It, it's an um, it is an unbelievable story, and uh, you just have to. I I I can't wait to see okay. it again. And I think it was interesting uh, what Vince said that uh, he saw it on the uh, plane coming up from Florida. So, obviously, there's a lot of movies in the library of American Airlines, you know, to have them uh, back uh, so far, uh, that, uh, back in the, you know, the early 80s. Well, but, also, yeah, you've got to give their uh, promotional staff a little credit because they were flying into Philadelphia, and they knew Vince Papali was going to be on the plane. So uh, it just uh, makes a little common sense to say, Yo, let's put this movie on the screen so everybody gets a chance to see it. Well, well let's move yeah. on. Let's move on because Doug Hamilton is down there in Baltimore. Golf has been uh, moving along in great strides recently. The three tournaments in the bank already, but uh, we're talking pro football right now. And Doug mm-hmm. Hamilton, uh, first of all, an observation on the Eagles game first, and then we'll go to the Chiefs. Well, I. Uh... Happy Wednesday, guys. Um, I think uh, I mean f- football was uh, was really good uh, this this weekend, this past weekend. Um, you know, for all the uh, the Eagles fans, I'm sure they're just ready to roll at this point, and um, you know they got a good, pretty good thing going right now. So, um, you know, they're what are they the fifth best rushing attack? Uh, you know, Jalen Hurts looks good. Devonta Smith is uh, a very unheralded, uh, but Incredibly talented number two wide receiver, uh, Dallas Goddard. You know, looks good. Their defense is is really good. Um, so they're they're firing on all cylinders. Um, you know, they're they're a tough team right now, and it'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, their rush attack against uh, I think San Francisco's you know top five against the run, and um, you know how this uh, rookie Brock Purdy looks against a, a pretty stout Eagles defense. Um, there's lots of star power on that field with uh, with all the guys that are playing and McCaffrey and, and Samuel and um, you know all those guys. It should be a good matchup. Roger. Well, we'll know uh, Saturday night. Uh, just on a uh, side uh, note, uh, I don't know if your wife Doug is a, a dog fan for basketball, uh, but uh, they're on the short end of a almost thirty point uh, differential. <laughs> with a couple of minutes left in the second half. So it's not a good night for the, the dogs in basketball. Well, but she's she's still basking in the glory of a second national championship. And, 
you know, it's uh, the 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 UPS guy uh, just stops here every day with with a, a different coffee mug or, or t-shirt or you know some <laughs> paraphernalia of back-to-back you know dog land and uh, so she does uh, from time to time get um, instant updates on her phone with regard to you know Georgia athletics as a whole uh, but I think the primary focus is on you know the football with you know whether it's recruits or scheduling or you know uh, the different things that might pertain to the football so it's it's a pretty ongoing thing I mean I can tell you we, we watch an awful lot of sports in this household. I mean, on a, on a, you know, on the, on the daily, um, but NBA basketball is one we don't really participate in. And for the most part, college basketball is a niche kind of a thing. Um, I'm mildly interested in, in Maryland this year um, and how they've, you know, hired a new head coach and kind of bounced back from, you know, lackluster seasons in the past. So um, I'm interested to see how this guy uh, was it Kevin Willard um, shapes this program. And, you know, we've talked about this uh, with uh, the, the transfer portal and the, the ability to instantly kind of populate your roster with, with guys that are pretty good as opposed to, you know, getting them out of the, the high schools and, and, you know, let them, you know, develop at that level. So um, that's kind of that. I mean, we, we watch hockey on a regular basis, um, obviously football, baseball, um, you know, I'm, um, you know, I'm a horse racing guy, or at least have been in terms of the, the majors um, and, and some of those things. You've got a couple things coming up, um, you know, during February month. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's lots going on here. I don't want to say you're a follower with, uh, you know, the Ravens, obviously, but also yeah. a very close follower of Cincinnati because Cincinnati and Pittsburgh mm-hmm. biggest rivals for the Ravens. Mm-hmm. And uh, were you surprised by the performance that Cincinnati put in up in Buffalo? Um, not really. I mean, look, at the end of the day, um, Joe Burrow is, is one of those kind of guys, if if he's on your team, you know, he's an incredible leader. He's, he's cool under fire. He's extremely talented, um, and, and you're in love with the guy and you want to keep him around, you know, forever. If he's not on your team, you think he's a smug, arrogant, cocky, you know, SOB that, you know, um, you, you know, you just – can respect but don't like um you know i think that much like any other team uh cincinnati is i mean they're, they're very good um i don't necessarily think their defense is is terribly good but they played well enough um you know they have three incredible you know receivers that at any point in time could be a number one receiver on whatever team they played on um you know hayden hurst was a guy that the ravens drafted in the first round that you know, has played well at that tight end position. Joe Mixon uh, has run the football uh, very well this year when he's been healthy, and Samaji Ryan has picked up the slack when, when he wasn't. Um, so they have lots of talent. Their offensive line isn't very good at all. I think the uh, Ravens uh, in that classic uh, AFC North battle um, kind of know how to play them or at least have developed a, a better strategy in which to do so. Um you know, heck, the Ravens scored 17 points with a backup quarterback against them, and, and Buffalo could only manage 10. So, you know, did weather play a part in that? Did Josh Allen just have a stinker of a game? Um, I don't know, but Cincinnati looked pretty daggone good, so they're they're going to move on. And I think that's either either way, whether it was Cincinnati or Buffalo, uh, that would be an anticipated AFC championship playing against Kansas City. And, 
you know, clearly they're the best three teams, um, you know, in the AFC right now. And so we'll get a chance to see two of them play this weekend. Roger. Well, yeah, I, I agree, uh, Doug, uh, about that. And, uh, What's your uh, uh, feelings about the NFC matchup? And uh, and also, as Don had asked uh, previous guest, uh, Chris Murray, uh, about mm-hmm. uh, his uh, position on uh, 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 on uh, Mahomes and about mm-hmm. the high ankle sprain. And, uh, yeah. what, do you, and, you know, and you follow the AFC a lot, obviously. Sure. Well, uh, what's your, what do you think? I mean, uh, yeah. that's going to have a big effect on that game. Do you think Cincinnati uh, can win and beat them again? They seem to be the chief killer. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, when you talk about high ankle sprains, I mean, they're nagging injuries that you know you can talk about rehab and and uh, you know getting in the training room to do you know, whether it's icing or appropriate stretching, or in, in many cases, it's you know, um, a very tight, you know, ankle taping. Um, you know, those trainers are really good with, you know, accessing the different points to relieve some of the pressure and strain on, on what that's going to feel like. Um, you know, obviously it makes him less mobile, and some of those playground plays, I think, tend to go away. The interesting part for me is, and I've said this before, um, it's not on the show, I just think in general I've comment that I know my dad will giggle when I say this, but I think that the Andy Reid style of offense is, um, you know, it's the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus when when he has these goofy plays and um, it's just the pomp and circumstance that I think goes with uh, the flair of his offense. And he doesn't run a very traditional style of offense with regard to, um, he's got Isaiah Pacheco and he's got Jarek McKinnon who are two really good running backs and he just seems to be averse you know taking a snap and handing it to the guy and letting him run you know they have to do these bubble screens and and snow globe plays and you know the tight end sneaks in there and takes you know the snap and throws a little dipsy do pass over you know and just goofy stuff like that so I, what i what i think is is this may make his offense more traditional um, because of the lack of mobility that, that Mahomes is, is going to have. Um, is he still going to be effective in the shotgun and be able to, you know, kind of turn and throw? Absolutely. Um, but, again, I think that, that he's, he'll be less mobile in those, you know, playground breakdown, scramble, flicks, and those sorts of things may not be something that we see. Uh, so, that being said, you know, the NFC matchup, I think you've got – um, a very strong offense in the Eagles and a very strong defense in the 49ers. Um, so that's the irresistible force and, you know, the immovable object that, that meet. Um, we'll see which one budges. Um, I mean, the the defense for the 49ers is just swarming. They're fast. They can get after the passer with Bosa. Um, you know, and, and their defensive line is, is really good. Um, I, I, for one, think that the Eagles – I mean, they, they're a very complete football team, in my opinion, minus – I'm not a big fan of, of uh, Miles Sanders as a runner. I don't think he's a number one guy, and I think that if – you know, the, the Eagles, I believe, have two first-round picks this year. If they can somehow figure out a way to get, you know, a guy like uh, Robinson from, from Texas, who's, I think, clearly the number one back in the draft, um, boy, they could be a really dangerous, you know, football team moving forward. So, um you know, I think Brock Purdy looked a little a little shaky in this last game. Um, not saying the stage was too big, but um, 
you know, you've got Debo Samuel, you've got George Kittle, you've got Brandon Ayuk. Um, so he's got a lot of weapons. Um, Christian McCaffrey and, and Elijah Mitchell were good, very good running backs. Um, hopefully that, you know, Shanahan will be able to let him kind of complete some short intermediate type passes and get himself together. And um, who knows? I mean, you know, some of these games come down to the kicking. Uh, I don't know that Robbie Gould and his age has – uh, some of the range that a lot of these better kickers have, but um, we've seen kicking be an issue with, with Dallas, of course, and um, we'll see what happens. Well, I don't know what the weather's supposed to be like. That may have an effect on it as well. So, Roger? Yeah, I'll have to check the weather because it could have an effect. And uh, I think and after seeing the, uh, bu- uh, the Buffalo-Cincinnati game, like we talked about mm-hmm. earlier with the yeah. weather, boy, that had uh, – no, uh, no bearing uh, on uh, Cincinnati's play at all, mm-hmm. and you know who knows what it would have to uh, in, as far as uh, San Francisco's play goes, because I don't and know I, if there's any snow. I don't think there's going to be any snow. No, and I think that you know obviously though teams will do their due diligence watching film. Um, I think that you know when you look at a team like uh, you know Cincinnati and and um, I mean, Joe Burrow just was able to pick apart that Bills defense and uh, the routes those guys ran to sit down in some of those little soft zone spots and, and the effectiveness of, of running the football and, and dumps and screens. And I think that, you know, Burrow pretty much had his way with, with that defense in terms of finding someone open on every play. So, um, you know, we'll see what Kansas City uh, draws up defensively. Um, I don't know that they've always been a very strong defensive football team. Um, but again, Cincinnati's offensive line isn't terribly good. They've, they're missing two guys, I think, two two of their five starters. Um, you know, so you know we could we could see a, a shootout, so to speak, in terms of high high points. I don't know what the over under is. I would imagine it's it's got to be approaching fifty because the over under in the Bills Bengals game was forty eight and a half. So I would think it'd be at least somewhere in that area. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, before well, we go, let's talk a little bit about the farmers. But uh, uh, also want to, because you're right there. Uh, what's mm-hmm. the latest on Jackson? What's the latest on the what are the what are the club talking about? What is Jackson talking about? What are the writers talking about there there in your homestead mm-hmm. area of Baltimore? Yeah, I mean it's um, um so I I downloaded um, there's an app. Um, from it's called Odyssey, A U D A C Y, and you can basically listen to you know different things on their podcast, uh, uh, sports radios, um, music, whatever you want. And the reason I got it is so I could listen to 1057 The Fan, which is the Baltimore version. I think 106 something is the Washington version. So um, I'm just far enough away that I don't I can't hear it on the radio in its entirety. So I've been listening a lot to. Uh, the mornings is um, like Vinny and Haney, and I think they, they talk a lot about uh, the Ravens. And then the afternoon is uh, Jason Lockenfora, which is always plugged in on, um, you know, kind of what's happening around the league, but specifically that of, of the Baltimore area. And he and Ken Wyman, I think, do a really good job of just talking about football and sports, and it's the most complete coverage in this area of the Orioles, Stadiums, and, and Terps. Um, but it's it's a hot topic. I mean, you have, you know, both sides are pretty much saying all the right things. 
Um, you know, Lamar's going to be here next year. We want him here long term. He's our quarterback moving forward. Um, you know, we want him to have uh, some level of, um, you know, inclusion, if you will, in in the offensive coordinators uh, that that they're going to hire. But you know, there's a lot of talk. There's four or five, you know, candidates. I guess that they're sifting through. Um, you know, either both internally and externally. Um, you know, the the talk here is. You know, the Ravens' identity is, and ha- you know, it has been, and it will be traditionally a, a run-based. Uh, but we want to develop the passing sector, uh, and so we need to not upset the apple cart with the guy we bring in to, you know, flip the script to unbalance it in a passing fashion, but but to develop the passing. Uh, but the problem is, you know, not only do you have to hire that offensive coordinator, you've got to figure out how to sign Lamar Jackson long-term, which. I have a reasonable amount of concern. Uh, the salary cap numbers came out, and I think the projected amount, I think, of next year's uh, NFL cap is around $226 million. And I think currently uh, the Ravens had – it was some – it was nearly – I think had, the rule of 51 is how they figure out, you know, what your salary cap stands at. They don't necessarily have 51 players signed yet with regard to – uh, right. Free agents that are unrestricted, free agents that are restricted, and um, you know practice squad guys and all those sorts of things. So the number I saw was about twenty-eight million dollars uh, that the Ravens had to spend, which that ain't going to get it done. Um, if you franchise tag the guy, you're you're in a deficit position because that's that number is going to be at least forty or north of. Um, <clears throat> you have a number of free agents that you're likely not to be able to sign, period, end of story. Uh, ben Powers was their starting left guard, which is going to get paid by somebody, not the Ravens. You've got uh, Marcus Peters, who's likely to walk, which you know provides the need for a cornerback, which the Ravens have struggled with and could use a lot of. Um, you know, you only have five draft picks because they traded a two and a five for Roquan Smith, and there was a seven traded last year, uh, so they've They've got limited resources. Um, you know, for those people that say, well, you know, we want to go get a wide receiver. Well, if you look at the wide receivers that are still left in free agency or the ones that are going to be, you know, uh, left in free agency, you know, there's there's really nobody on there that's befitting of a number one wide receiver. Um, if you're going to make um, some version of trade uh, to, to upgrade that position, you know, here again, we, we walk into we don't have enough money to, uh, to spend on a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, who's making $30 million, who turns 31 in June, um, guys like that. Plus, you don't have the draft capital really to go get somebody like that anyway because I don't think I would trade my first-round pick. They don't have a two. Um, so there's there's lots of question marks here. And typically the Ravens, immediately following the season, do their end-of-year kind of presser, if you will, and it was um, – publicized by everyone in Baltimore that it was Coach Harbaugh and it was Eric DaCosta and they were answering questions and talking about different things with regard to the team and, you know, the roster, the salary cap, and obviously Lamar um, and his contract situation was, you know, the dominant uh, thing. Uh, but, you know, as I mentioned, you know, the Ravens are saying the right things, and, of course, Lamar's saying the right things. You know, I, I like Baltimore. I want to, you know, win a championship here, and, and I want to play here, and I want to sign long-term, and, you know, so you have two sides that, in theory, are willing to negotiate. You know, but at the end of the day, we, we don't know exactly what he wants. You know, we've heard 
rumors Nobody of only does. a three-year deal. No, we've heard rumors. You know, uh, does he want a three-year deal? Does he want a five-year deal? Does he want, you know, um, the Sean Watson-type contract that's almost fully guaranteed? Um, you know, and, and if you're the Ravens, I mean, how, how are you going to work that salary cap, you know, number in there? And once you do that, I mean, now now you have a situation where, you know, you're going to have to probably take a look at your roster and, and, and go through it and, and, um, and redo contracts from guys like Ronnie Stanley and, and Marlon Humphrey. And you're going to have to look at guys like Gus Edwards and, and Calais Campbell and guys like that, that, that you might have to say goodbye to, to, to save the money. And, you know, and how do you, how do you fulfill, you know, the needs of the rest of your team? I mean, if you're talking about needing wide receivers, well, their two best were Rashad Bateman, who's unproven at best and Devin Duvernay, who, you know, was, I think, a fourth-round pick who was widely regarded as mostly a Pro Bowl punt returner and kick returner. So, you know, beyond that, you've, you've got some really good tight ends. You've got Mark Andrews and, and two guys they just drafted this past year. Um, but it, there's a lot of cause for concern, um, at least, you know, from my standpoint as a Ravens fan. I, I don't know how this ends, to be honest with you. Roger? Doug, what was the name of that uh, app you were talking about? Uh, uh, it's called, uh, you know, when they said it on the radio, I thought they said Odyssey, like, you know, it, like it, yeah, it what is the Odyssey. Yeah, it's, it's A-U-D-Y. It's A-U-D-Y. That's correct. I, can, I looked yeah. it up as, as O-D-Y because that's what I thought they said, and I stumbled across it, and it's it's a it's a free app. I mean, you can listen to pretty much whatever, but, I mean, now I can, I can at least listen to um, – I mean, you can actually listen to previous shows. Um, you can listen to it live. Uh, I mean, it's great when I'm in the car to uh, to listen to, you know, those guys talk because, as I mentioned, I'm just outside pretty much of the range where I get into spots and I can't consistently hear it. But there's a lot of really good information uh, that's passed on there. And I'm not sure which one of the guys, Vinny or Haney, I think one of them uh, might have played in the NFL. I think he said he played for the 49ers. Um, and as I mentioned, Jason Lockenfor is just the little black book of – you know, sports and insider. And, you know, you got nerds like him that like Ian Rappaport and, you know, all these different guys, that's what they do. Um, you know, they, they have about nine cell phones and they have all these contacts and they call people and they get the scoop before the scoop becomes the scoop. Um, so, yeah, I mean. Well, know. we would <laughs> encourage you to, uh, since you have the app to mm-hmm. uh, punch in tomorrow morning, uh, six okay. to 10, uh, WIP, because that's an Odyssey okay. station. The headquarters, uh, the actual headquarters of Odyssey is on Market Street, and that's where WIP, they're in their headquarters. Mm-hmm. And okay. uh, they've done a great job with that. But you'll get to hear Angelo Cataldi and the morning team, because when the Eagles season is over, he retires. <laughs> so you got a chance, right, Don, Frank, to catch Angelo. Because it's a show like none other. <laughs> it's no other different, no question about that. <laughs> and it's the number well, one. He's taken that from nowhere, and he's number one, but he's retiring. He uh, he hit 70, and he was going to retire last year, but uh, he's such an Eagles fan. And uh, it's it's much different than anything that uh, – you're uh, you're that you're familiar with, and I was familiar mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, in the old days. But he has just built it up, and he has Dick Vermeil on on Fridays uh, making a pick, and 
they uh, have uh, also on Fridays, uh, they have uh, Mike Lombardi, okay, they're the former uh, GM. Uh, he has Brian Baldinger, uh, Ray uh, Dinger. I mean, just mm-hmm. a, a lot of guests, but the uh, the crew is uh, is just tremendous. And uh, uh, Al Morgani, they also have Joe Conklin. Uh, I think it's uh, it might be tomorrow about the voices. And at the Sports Writers Bank with the other night, he is a, absolutely a marvel. Uh, he was doing uh, the uh, from. Merrill Reese, the play-by-play of the Eagles, to Mike Quick, who does the analyst, he was doing a uh, conversation with play-by-play from one voice to the other. It was unbelievable. I mean, so you, I hopefully, if you listen, that you'll enjoy it because uh, he was a uh, Pulitzer Prize-winning uh, writer hmm. for the Philadelphia Inquirer before um, he got involved, and it was with Tom Brookshire that uh, had bought the station with Spectacore, and that's how uh, Angelo and Al got involved. But uh, hopefully you'll listen and you'll enjoy. Let's uh, we'll shift gears, Don. Let's let's go baseball wise, and I know that's you know another hot topic here in Baltimore as we approach you know pitchers and catchers making right. their way down to to Florida, and you know I think the big talk here was you know still the the pipeline um, of of the Baltimore Orioles and what they've tried to build over the last several years and right. prospects and minor leagues. We're going to see them right here in Sarasota very quickly. Well, you, you're in for a treat because I know the baseball America has, um, if they haven't, I think they've, they've broken it up by top 10 at each position and then they're going to compile it into their top 100. And I think as I heard it, uh, the Orioles, I think have eight of the top 100 uh, respective positions of, of guys and they will, Actually, a couple guys that they didn't even mention that I thought uh, likely should uh, should be on there. And, and the, the interesting part is, you know, you've still got on that list is Gunnar Henderson and, and D.L. Hall, which are which are going to start, you know, at the major league level. But there were six additionals, and then they were already talking about, you know, the 2024 list and, and including, you know, a handful more. And, you know, that's the good news for Baltimore is that you've got this consistent flow, if you will, of, of guys that are going to be moving through the systems, um, you know, your Jordan Westbergs and Heston Kerstads and all these guys that, that don't approach that list but will in the in the following years. And you saw – They certainly, uh, uh, as you well know, Louis in Baltimore, you suffered long enough. It's time to mm. – you know, they moved up to a little bit below the bottom of the pile, but uh, now it's yeah. time to move up into or as close as you can yet at the top two or three. Well, the – the thing for me is that the Orioles won 83 games last year, which was an amazing season, and I enjoyed every second of it. Um, but the talk here is, you know, how, how do we improve upon an 83-win season? And, and the jump that they made to get to 83 right. was was historical. But, you know, I don't know, you know, picking up a backup catcher, McCann, and, and uh, you know, replacing Odor with Adam Frazier and uh, signing Kyle Gibson and, and some of the – you know, smaller moves that they've made. I don't necessarily think that it's enough to, you know, increase that win total. Um, the good news for Baltimore is that we've got a, a full season of Gunnar Henderson and a full season of Adley Rutschman. Uh, the continued development, if you will, of a lot of these guys that have maintained their positions. Um, I was a little disappointed to see uh, the Twins uh, made a deal and got Pablo uh, Lopez from uh, the Miami Miami Marlins that, Right. was rumored to be a target, if you will, of, of the Orioles. And I think that I wouldn't be at all surprised if 
if the Orioles actually make a little tiny splash uh, moving forward. The guy that's on the market right now is Jerickson Profar, who uh, could probably fill a spot somewhere on their roster, which would make, you know, a, a guy like Austin Hayes. I know they've talked about uh, Ramon Urias, um, you know, in a trade package to, to get a guy. I think, I think they may take a look at some of the pitching from the Milwaukee Brewers, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if if we landed someone uh, that that could make a difference, um, you know, for this team. So, you know, the thing is, I think one of the outfielders that the Orioles have may be expendable with uh, another year of Kyle Stowers, who got a little taste last year, and some of their their guys coming up through that that will replace uh, after that. So, uh, interesting to see. I also. You know, the, I don't know what your guys' feeling is because uh, the Hall of Fame announcement came out that Scott Rowland, I think, was, was the only one that got in on the, right. on the original original ballot. I'm deeply disappointed in how pathetic of of a election that is. Um, in my opinion, the guy shouldn't have even been on the ballot, let alone be elected. Um, that's to me, that's embarrassing to um, you know to, to the Hall of Fame in general. I mean, he was like a 281 hitter, he had 316 home runs. I mean, there's nothing spectacular about the guy's career whatsoever. You know, and in, and in this neck of the woods, you look at a guy like a B.J. Serhoff, who, you know, was very comparable to a guy like that who didn't even catch a sniff. So I don't understand, as we've talked about this over the years, you know, what the heck the criteria is, but that's pretty pathetic. Roger? Well, it's not, not uh, what was said earlier, Doug, Okay. And uh, uh, today I heard the, you know, a lot of discussion on uh, Sirius XM uh, channels about uh, the selection and why isn't Jeff Kent in the uh, Hall of Fame? Uh, better mm-hmm. numbers. Uh, that's number one. Uh, but uh, the baseball writers, uh, from uh, what I've heard and what people have heard, their position is that they're going to have a much greater uh, impact on defense in their selections in the future. And they, we had Roy on uh, earlier. He thought that uh, uh, that's good. Uh, I, th- I think it needs – you shouldn't have to be, think one way or another. The player is a well I mean, famer based on his record. That's the final bottom line. Well, I mean, you can, you can say, I guess, what you want. I mean, you've, you've heard – discussions about quote unquote bodies of work and as I've mentioned and I've had this conversation on the show and I've had it outside of the show but if you look at the NFL and you look at baseball I think how they elect people to the Hall of Fame is a joke number one because you know in in baseball particularly I I heard uh, the other day uh, with Tim Kirchner I mean a, a baseball writer and he's been doing this for 30 some years gets to vote up to 10 players on his ballot and and he said in most cases he votes all he votes for ten players. Um, that you know guys like Fred McGriff uh, that didn't get in, uh, but now are getting in on the subsidiary version of of getting into the Hall of Fame. You know he voted for him every time he had the opportunity to vote for him. Um, but if you looked at the at the ballot this year, it, I mean it wasn't a really good year. And. You know, so I, I don't know. I mean, you know, look at the NFL. I mean, we've talked about this before. Um, you know, Terrell Davis, um, Kurt Warner, you know, guys like, you know, uh, um, 
I, I just I don't know what the criteria is. I mean, if you're going to put an emphasis on defense, then basically what you're saying is we're scared to death of people who took steroids, so we're going to diminish the value of the offensive numbers. So right, we talked about that the first half hour tonight. The fact that <clears throat> as you look up and down the line, the people that uh, they have pretty much put on the on the back burner are not going to vote for. I mean, even Alex Rodriguez, players like that are only getting 35%. 35% Scott's got to get anywhere near 75%. So none right. of those players that are on that on that list, they they don't really have a shot at getting in at all. Right. Well, yeah, I'll, so I'll you give have... you an example that Ira Kaufman gave, fellas, and today, and this goes back a number of years. He interviewed a – and it's easy to track because he, he said the uh, publication – uh, that the gentleman worked for uh, was Newsday, which is the Long Island newspaper. And uh, it was he was a voter, and like you said, Doug, he had 10, uh, 10 votes. He went mm-hmm. right down the uh, ballot, and he had his 10, and he never got to Carl Yastrzemski, so he didn't <laughs> vote for him because he had already and, – and he put this in his column, so it's something well, that can be tracked. But that's ridiculous. But, but you all, you also have – these shifty sports writers that say, well, I don't think that someone should garner 100% of the vote, so I'm going to leave him off of mine. And and they play these like, really, I mean, when, when you actually look at the people that are voting on on this, I mean, did, did these guys even play sports? I mean, do they wear pocket protectors? I mean, what, they have tape in the middle well, of their glasses? Like, what, to see a well, I think, I think I made a good point, as Roger brought up in the first half hour tonight. That so many of the writers that are voting now, that are qualified, that are uh, uh, eligible voters, uh, don't even know most of these players. I mean, no, no, no. I saw them. I mean, um, yeah, there's, it's, it, yeah. I mean, it's like I said. I mean, if if someone's going to um, from the NFL side sit in a room and and honestly tell me that Terrell Davis is a Hall of Famer and 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 somehow try to, you know tell me that he deserves to be in there. No, so look, to so what? He had a 2,000-yard rushing season, and that's why he's in the Hall of Fame, because he played really well for like three years? Okay, well, Jamal Lewis had a 2,000-yard rushing season, and, and his body of work far exceeds that of Terrell Davis's. He won a Super Bowl. You know, what's the criteria? I mean, why is one in and the other one's not? I mean, you, you look forward, you know, Kurt Warner, um, you know, uh, <laughs> I bet you Joe Flacco's statistics are as good as Kurt Warner's. He's not going to have a sniff. You know, Matt Ryan, you know, another one. You know, uh, uh, Phil Matt Rivers. May. I mean, look at yeah, – you know, he Matt might. May. I'm just saying, but, yeah. but what's, what's the criteria? Well, what makes him a better quarterback statistically? Or, you know, he didn't win a Super Bowl. I mean, what, what, what are we looking at? I mean, what, what is the argument is what I'm saying. Is you can't sit there and say that if, you're, if you tee it up on the PGA Tour or the LPGA Tour – and you win 25 times, you're getting into the Hall of Fame because that's their criteria. You know, this is all arbitrary junk that someone's going to sit there and say, well, uh, you know, uh, what's his name, the the receiver from Calvin Johnson, another one. You know, was he a incredibly good wide receiver? Absolutely. I mean, you know, statistically for that amount of time, he was good. But if you're going to sit there and tell me that the argument is it's body of work, well, you know, you played, what, five good years, seven good years, and then this guy over here played 15, you know? So, I, I mean, I don't know. What is it? Well, so. well, on Terrell, your example, 
It was because of his record uh, in, in a very short period of time, okay? And look at Barry Sanders, deserved to be in the Hall of Fame, and is. He played mm-hmm. in a short period of time. And in Kurt Warner's, I think it was that uh, he won a Super Bowl, uh, and uh, he, uh, he got him there uh, to uh, uh, two, right? And uh, the, he also uh, changed things in some ways. And, that, and that's what well, they look at. Yeah, but, but that's, to me, that's, that's like the way I cook. I, throw, I, I grab a pinch of this and I throw it in there. I don't have a recipe. Right, so you just mix a bunch of stuff in a bowl, and it tastes like a crab cake. I mean, you know, I mean, you're you're going to tell me that that Terrell Davis played. If you look up his record, I mean, Barry Sanders was good, amazing from start to finish. No, he was great. Um, uh, he wasn't good. Terrell, he was great. Terrell no, Davis he was great. Was, right. Well, Terrell Davis had one two thousand yard rushing season. And I think he had two other over a thousand yards. You know, you look at Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner won an MVP. Kurt Warner won a Super Bowl. Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl. Joe Flacco won the MVP in the, in the Super Bowl. I mean, I, I mean, what 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 is it? You know, where are you hanging your hat to say, you know, we're not picking stocks by throwing darts at a dartboard here? Lot depends on the sponsor. Lot to sp- look at how long uh, with Ira it it took to uh, uh, get the, uh, uh, with the who's the general manager the that was the former uh, Bucks. Um, Lynch. You know, Lynch. Yeah. Who? John Lynch in John San Lynch. Francisco. Yeah, and and Iris says that. Look how many times it took him. I and I think uh, I know how long it took Ray Dinger to get Tommy McDonald in, and Tommy mm-hmm. McDonald's record, uh, you know, in that period was phenomenal. Okay, a Jurgensen to McDonald, and before that, Van Brocklin to McDonald. But the uh, it, it a lot of it, I think, is the sponsor of, of uh, getting it in. And but but uh, in baseball, uh, there are just not uh, voters that saw uh, older players. Now, if you talk about uh, Roland versus Jeff Kemp, Jeff Kemp won an MVP. Scott mm-hmm. Roland never won an MVP. But it, Roy's mm-hmm. assessment earlier was that Scott Roland came in and replaced a Hall of Famer. Uh, and definitely, uh, as far as defense goes, he replaced Mike Schmidt. So, you know, they, they look at that. But one point I heard today just about the voting, I think uh, it was Chris Russo that brought it up. How can you, the first year, get 10% and, what, five years later, you get, what, we'll say 80 or 90%, whatever the case might be? Doesn't make sense. Well, I, I think that's to Don's point. You have a, a list of people that you can vote for this year who, in general, were, were I'll call them substandard with regard to the names we've heard. But the problem is you've got guys that are still on there that are the, the PED guys that no one's voting for or, or they getting very little, very little amount of vote. Um, you know, over the last couple of years, I feel like we've seen guys that just, you know, the, the Griffies and the Ripkins and all those guys, they're done. They're already in. You know, not, now you're looking at guys that made their, their money taking steroids that no one's going to vote for, which then takes us down to tier two of people who, you know, have a chance to get in. I mean, you know, uh, well, I think, who uh, yeah, Doug, I think, I think Hilton has a good chance to get in. His numbers yeah. were, you know, he only missed by a few uh, percentage points, but uh, mm-hmm. I think his overall career 
uh, certainly stacks up in, in all areas with uh, getting in next year into the Hall of Fame. Oh, well, well the one that was brought up one. today was Carlos Beltran. Okay, and uh, and it was not because of his record. The numbers are unbelievable. He should be in the Hall of Fame. However, he was involved in the cheating, and that puts the kibosh on it. I don't know how long, but well, that was what the, the consensus was. But they're also talking about guys like Sheffield and, and Fred McGriff and guys like that who played for all these different teams who now they're saying, oh, we can't identify him with just one team, and that hurts his chances of getting in. And what does that even be. mean? That's no, it stupid. shouldn't be. That's You're mean. right. You know, it's not no, when you when anymore. you have the record that Fred McGriff have, he should have been voted in long ago. If Fred McGriff I'm, hit seven more home runs, he'd have been in eight years ago. Yeah, yeah. and if he hadn't had the strike season, he would have had the seven. You know, he That's would have been exactly. way he'd have been over the five hundred. So exactly, I mean, so uh, shouldn't they consider that? I would think they so. Should. Yeah, I, they know, should. I, as I say, I think right from the get go, he should have been in. I think he's one of the players that got shortchanged all the way down the line. Over the last mm-hmm. ten years, I, I can't, can't believe that they let it go by his last year and didn't put him in. Well, th- that's my point. You're, you're going to sit there and tell me that Fred McGriff isn't deserving to get in with 493 home runs, but Scott Rowland was a hell of a defender, so we're going to put him in. I mean, what, what sense does oh, no, that make? Uh, no, I I agree with you, Doug, about this. Okay, you know because I was surprised that Scott Rowland got in. Now Don right. and I talked about this because. The uh, you know he wanted out of Philadelphia, okay, mm-hmm. and that's why they had to trade him, and uh, he just never uh, was happy. Now you could look at it for a lot of reasons. Neither was Mike Schmidt initially, right, Don Frank? Right. I mean, oh, absolutely you know, right. Fans were all over Schmidt, but he uh, he replaced a legend, and I think a lot of times. It's the old story. You don't want to be the person to replace the legend. You want to be the person that replaces the replacement of the legend. And I <laughs> right. think I think uh, I just read the other day. You may have seen it, and this is uh, staying with baseball. Chip Carey is leaving the Braves to go to the Cardinals. And is that right? The, I didn't uh, see that. Yeah, there there was a story here. Uh, and I got it on uh, on the internet. It had a picture of Chip and uh, Harry and Skip, and uh, that uh, yeah, he, that that uh, uh, this is what is is being said. Let's put it that way. Well, it, you know, um, Chip's a, a tremendous baseball announcer. I, I don't understand why uh, he doesn't get network, uh, 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 you know, uh, work. I really don't. And uh, the and of course he's you know from the, the family and everything. But where is he going? Back to where his grandfather was, you know, in St. Louis before he went. Uh, what was it? Jack Buck and Harry Carey, right, Donald KMLX in St. Louis. That's right. He was he, listen. He was he was the most popular guy in St. Louis. I mean, he was unbelievable. By Chicago. Go ahead, oh, in Doug. Chicago, well, yeah, yeah, that's where he ended up in Chicago, but he made yeah. his name in St. Louis. In St. Louis, absolutely, yeah. And I think that's uh, the uh, – and then uh, Skip came with the Hawks from St. Louis to Atlanta and then wound up getting the Braves games. And, unfortunately, you know, he got uh, – he passed away and got sick, very sad. And then Chip was here. So uh, the uh, he just continued it on, and uh, 
Uh, okay, fellas, we got to stop it right there. we got to throw it back to our executive producer, Frank Carroll at great, the control. Thank all our guests for tonight. Doug, thanks for going a few extra minutes with us tonight. Of course. Very good show for everybody. Thanks to all our guests. It's all yours, Frank. Have a great week, Doug. Take care. God bless. Thank you. Take care, Frank. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces and the men and women police and fire services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please acknowledge that you know that they're there. It means a lot to everybody on this on the road. And not all guys are bad. Most guys are very, very good. <clears throat> These programs are dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Sergeant Thomas Baker, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, Sergeant <clears throat> Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Charlie Connett, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Chris Levake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Anafo Chris from Lakeland PD, Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Artith Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Alvo, the Longwood Cake Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. Deputy Mike Hargrave, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Blaine Lane, Polk County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Chris Myers, Polk County Sheriff's Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, at some time we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields. The sunlight sun shine lightly on your face until we meet again. <clears throat> May the good Lord keep you and your family always in the palm of his hand. <laughs>
Tower, shams, strength, and love. 